Hello, welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnston. I'm the founder of the Living Undeterred Mindset, I guess I'll call it. Uh, we have a blog and a, a weekly podcast that I do. And the objective of the podcast is to find people that have had a living undeterred mindset or people that have dealt with certain things that have um, propelled them to a, a realm of inspiration and have decided to use maybe unfortunate events in their past to make them a better human being. And that's what this is all about, finding uh, really good human beings. And I have a great guest today. Um, I had a kind of a pre-screening call with him a week ago and about an hour and a half into the call, I said, hey, this is supposed to only last 15 minutes. So we had a really good conversation. Um, so Dimitri, I'm gonna introduce you real quick. I'm gonna have actually you introduce yourself, but to set the listeners up, um, and I've been working on exactly what you do for a living, but I met you th through a friend, a mutual acquaintance, Brian Wall, who you and I know through um, LinkedIn specifically, but you're in the robotic processing automation business. So. We're going to start off there and then we're going to navigate into some of the topics that you and I discussed and there was a mutual reason why Brian wanted you and I to, to hook up. So again, uh, welcome to the show and uh, Dimitri, tell us a little bit about you. Hello everyone. Uh, my name is Dimitri Ortiz, as you mentioned. Uh, I am from Guatemala City, Guatemala, Central America, the land of the Mayan Empire. <laughs> very, very happy to be here. Um, I've spoken to Jeff. I love what he does, his work, and I definitely want to, um, you know, participate in this great conversation. Um, as he mentioned, I work for STA Group. We're uh, we specialize in robotic process automation, which means, uh, in simple terms, what we do is we help business automate their business processes so that we can streamline the workflows. Um, in reality, we're, what we're trying to do is get people away from doing monotonous, repetitive, mundane jobs and kind of go and do a lot better and bigger things, more valuable things as what humans are supposed to do. So we're pretty much trying to revolutionize how we do business and trying to allow the fourth industrial revolution to, to help us and so we can leverage it and uh, scale to automation. Well, aren't we supposed to be terrified that robots are going to take all of our jobs, Dimitri, and uh, we're going to be set back to the Bronze Age or something? Yes, of course. Uh, Hollywood has done a great job at uh, <laughs> narrating the, you know, the, the, the it's, it's almost like, okay, so is the devil really that ugly? Does he really have horns and, uh, you know, in a tail? It's kind of like the same question. It comes down to who's doctrinating the people that, and uh, speaking to, you know, to them about technology. Okay, so real quick. Robots are going to be taking over human jobs. Well, let me reverse the psychology here in the narrative. Let me tell you that as a professional in the technology field for over two decades, what I'm finding nowadays is that I see people insisting on keeping robotic jobs and stealing the jobs from the robots as opposed mm. to doing human jobs. And that's what's really mm. happening. We want to, it seems like we want to keep on doing monotonous, repetitive jobs that are not in any way stimulating. I mean, why do you think so many people burn out in the office? Because first right. of all, they're cubicles, you know, they're staring at a screen all day and doing repetitive, monotonous jobs. I mean, isn't that, I mean, even a robot, you know, would maybe get bored of doing that. <laughs> so, so that that's why, so, so, so to answer your question, no, we're, we're actually trying to, um, you know, eliminate any of the, any of the jobs that a machine can do or a software can do. And so that humans can act like humans. 
so that we can innovate, we can create, we can practice empathy, things that robots have not and probably will not for at least in my lifetime. <laughs> and that's a that's a good lead in because I wanted to ask you about artificial intelligence. And um, that's obviously a very, a very big thing right now. And I think I'm I'm slightly ignorant in this area. Um, you you will have, you know, your worst day would be better than my best day in understanding artificial intelligence. Um, what are some of the things in regards? You mentioned about empathy and compassion. You know, I throw in compassion as well. You know, but is there a possibility a day that we'll develop robots that have a conscience that have the ability to to have emotions and feel feelings? Jeff, what do you think? One, that one day is already here. Um, we already have officially kicked off uh, the first um, psychologist robot with a degree and is recognized wow. worldwide. So um, we are implementing AI because, as you know, AI, what we're trying to, what AI essentially is, is we're trying to get humans and machine learning to do and imitate what humans do. But when it comes to AI, I mean, that's robotic process automation specifically, but AI is also going to allow machines to be in a way, independent cognitive um, entities. Hmm. What that means is that they're not going to be, because see, with robotic process automation, they, it still requires for us to, 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 to structure it, to develop it. It requires humans to still take care of it, monitor it. Um, when it comes to AI, they're going to be a lot more independent, a lot more mono, uh, autonomous, kind of like the cars. We're heading to a yeah. place in a time where machines are not going to require necessarily each and every decision for humans to inter uh, to to attend to or to in, uh, or to have to uh, um, add to 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 whatever workflow or logic it may be happening so so we're already there to be honest with you Jeff and, and if you think about it um, many times as humans we tend to think we're the best for certain jobs and we're not um, right. I, got, I I must remind you that we have a lot of humans working in healthcare and humans are error prone like highly error prone we're talking about right you are so, you know, we, we, we are so, um, in a way, uh, influenced by bad, bad health uh, alterations, psychological alterations, uh, any type of anything that just throws us off will equal error-prone jobs. And so hmm. imagine us having humans doing all these jobs in places where we need to be as accurate and exact as we can. Even as doctors, see, I know it sounds like, oh man, we're gonna get rid of all the doctors, but no. I mean, no. imagine the doctors that are having who knows what kind of lifestyle at home. We don't know if they abuse any substance. We don't know what kind of, you know, we don't know what to expect from them because, you know, as human beings, we're 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 not necessarily predictable. We're not programmable, right. completely programmable. So, right. um, if you think about those part, that the part, I mean, I think we do need some kind of we need to leverage technology where we come fall short. And then when we come on strong, that's where we come in. I mean, you think about just the just the human emotion or I guess um, uh, ability for us to lie, you know, to cover up our tracks. You know, let's say somebody makes a mistake and they don't want their boss to find out because they'll get fired. That one problem can magnify into big problems. Well, computers don't really have the ability to understand the concept of lying. You know, they make a mistake and they probably go, you know, I, again, I'm speaking out of context, but I can see where there's a lot of applications. Um, I think about the cars, you know, but then again, you know, think of the people that drive cars for a living. These people are going to have to learn to adapt a new skill set or 
or what? I mean, you know, I think it seems like there's always something that's going to replace what humans do, but then humans always invent some other industry that comes up that always needs humans. I, I, I'm not as pessimistic as some people are, Dimitri. I think that, you know, if, if automated cars are going to be the, the, the thing and, and everybody that drives cars are going to be out of business, those same people are going to develop skills in something else. I mean, you'll have to, to survive, right? Yeah, let's 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 talk about cars for a minute. Let's talk about. See, I, I I used to go to New York when I lived in upstate New York. I used to go to New York City quite a bit, and there I didn't drive. I took taxis all the time because it was ridiculous mm-hmm. driving. And right. imagine all the people that drive. Again, let me let me point out the error-prone human behind a machine that could any at any point lose his control. Right. Okay. You got to remember. Yes, human beings are doing it because we don't have a better system. But that's what right. you have to look at. You have to look at it. Oh, humans. Okay, so let me bring it back even more than 100 years ago because I want to tell you, it, it actually happened about 100 years ago. Henry Ford, when he introduced the, you know, the mass production um, you know, of cars and stuff, uh, before that, people had to actually manually do one piece at a time and assemble it one piece at a time. Mm-hmm. So we could go back to that and think that that just makes us feel better. Or we could even take it even far, further and talk about the time when we had to work the land. Do you remember mm-hmm. like more than 100 years ago, major, 98% of the people were working the land. There, was no, there yeah. were no other jobs. I mean, that's right. what you did. You, 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 you would chop trees up. You would make houses. You would use the horses to travel. And you would use the land to eat. Now, we could talk about the fact that we went from cultivation to mass production. And you could look at it as that horrible thing that happened because we left our natural state of, you know, um, a missing link type of way back in the day. Right, right. So, so, so you got to look at the fact that every industrial revolution has brought change. But with that change, we also have brought progress. Progress, mm-hmm. if it hadn't been, been that way, we would be pulled by horses right now. And we would be, we would be sending smoke signals and we would send people in the Pony Express uh, taking like a year to get to across the country. So do we really want to understand that, you know, that limitation, right. lack of, of, of technology? Because if you think about it, people have gone this far. I can guarantee you even the most pessimist does not want to go back to snail mail or to any kind of like or rotary phones yeah. only call certain people if they're in front of it. I mean, well, I can I can tell you in my industry, Dimitri, I'm in the investment business, so I own a wealth a wealth management firm here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I remember, oh, I've been doing this since I was 23, so 31, 32 years, and I can vividly remember more than one time in my career that robo trading or day traders or you know this this computerized programmed stock picking uh, things were going to you know, um, you know, cause me to switch careers. And that's always a great idea until it's not. And the reality was in my business, we had 01 and 08 happen when you had a stock market collapse and people realized, hey, computers can't feel my pain. I can't call my computer up and talk to them about why my stocks are down, you know? So again, I can see where in our industry, progress has, has really helped us, you know, the speed of information to contact with our clients is, is so much better but I just don't think we're going to replace in most industries the, the the core foundation of human relationships, human connectivity. I just have a hard time thinking that um, you're just going to replace humans with robots. I think we evolve with robots 
if there's a possibility to use those two words together. Um, but I, you know what I'm trying to say? We have been, Jeff. This is the thing. We're th Okay, first of all, we got to stop thinking that this is the beginning. Right. This is the continuation. I mean, there was right. an industrial revolution that brought computers before the fourth industrial revolution. Okay, so, and, and not only that, but we got to remember that what's going to happen here, Jeff, is, for example, food. There's not enough food, and there's a lot of people starving to death. Technology, right. if we use it correctly, it will re it will fix that problem. Okay, think about cars, okay? Think about the traffic jam, the pollution, all those negative effects of cars and the way we use them right now. That doesn't, just because we're using them right now, does not mean that they are the best thing we have or the right. best in invention. So as you can right. see, we're, we're becoming better as we go, and technology has always been the key factor to make yeah, us better... I and to do what we can do now, it's like we can travel to other places just through means of, uh, you know, technology, something that we could never do before. So, um, it, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how people can be pessimistic about something that they haven't really appreciated. And, and, right. and it seems like it seems like we fear what we don't understand. And I think that's a problem. Oh, no question. Well, that I think that's a good intro. Um, I wanted to definitely give some time to talk about your career. But now I want to talk about Dimitri as the human being. And we spent a lot of time talking about this. You know my story. Um, our oldest son, Seth, died of a heroin overdose um, October 4, 2016. Prior to that was an eight-year journey of addiction and incarceration and lies and deception. And so, you know, my life is, you know, a big chunk of my life has been spent trying to put out those fires. In hearing your story... And again, I'm going to allow you plenty of time to kind of navigate through and, and talk about what you feel comfortable talking about, Dimitri. I know you and I both are open to being vulnerable, and I respect that in you. Um, I'm going to start off with back in the day, and I wrote down here in my notes, uh, the electronic music festival scene. And that's kind of where your whole thing started with addiction and substance abuse and depression and all that. Why don't you take it from here and kind of give us a... a you know, a little bit of um, a deep dive into your experience with addiction, substance abuse, all these things that come with it. And then what, what in hindsight have you kind of learned from what happened to you and how has that made you a better person? Okay. Uh, sure, Jeff. Of course, as you mentioned, I think it's very important to be vulnerable. Now, vulnerable doesn't mean allowing people to hurt you, allowing people to insult you, or allowing people to control you. Being vulnerable, I think it just uh, pretty much uh, uh, reinforces um reinforces who we are and um you know as humans as you mentioned yeah so 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 as, as, as it's interesting that we're talking about technology i think part of being human is part is being vulnerable what does that what does vulnerable mean me right. I, in my opinion i think it means that you accept being human being you accept that we're not perfect you accept that we are you know sometimes easily influenced easily, you know, deterred, uh, confused. But there are many things. We are prone to error, as we mentioned, and errors are failures. But if you look at failures as what defines you, that's where the problem comes in. Right. When it comes to my life, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes people assume that you do these things when you are feeling like you don't, you're not worth anything or you don't have a self-value. And, you know, it's interesting, Jeff, that this happened to me at the top or the peak of my life. I was 22 years old. I had only worked eight months in the IT field. I didn't have a, a, a university degree certification or nothing. I was just able to jump from high school to the pros just because I studied 
and uh, decided mm -hmm. that I wanted, wanted to try IT. Eight months later, I took over the biggest first company in the East Coast, from Man to Atlanta, interconnected to my network, 31 terminals. And so it, mm -hmm. it was like, a, you know, as I mentioned, $1.7 million revenue a day if I didn't do my job correctly. No pressure. Wow. So, so when you look yeah. at that, I mean, when you look at that and you look at that career, 22 years old, I mean, that's that's an amazing, it's amazing success story. Right. We think, wow, how does a guy, an immigrant, by the way, I have to remind you of that, an immigrant after a few years, I mean, a decade, a little over a decade after being in the United States, scored a job that was one of the highest in ITs. Now, the reason why I emphasize this, is because this is when it happened, when I went to upstate New York, Syracuse, and I took over this, com this company, I was like very important in this company. Let me just say that. They looked at me as a genius because I was young and I was saying and talking about things that nobody understood. Well, we're right. still kind of like that, but I'm older now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting because you would think, you know, I had an apartment that was just like luxurious for where, for where I lived. It was like, a, you know, a penthouse almost. I had a right. Mercedes, you know, a brand new Mercedes, fully equipped, 22 years old. I mean, when you, when you stop and think about that, you think, wow, this guy is an... an at the peak of his life. Right. And right. But really, you know, it's interesting enough is when I actually hit depression the hardest. Um, mm. I had came back from a ecclesiastical mission that I had served in Italy. So I think the shift that happened from my mission where I was serving people every day, I was, you know, um, very spiritual, very focused on helping other people and then coming in and, and, and living my normal life. That shift in, in lifestyle, I think, altered mm. me in a way, because I wasn't yeah. longer needed as I need. Because see, two things that human beings need to be happy in this life. They need to be loved and need to be needed. Those are the mm -hmm. two, one of the two main things I believe we all need to be happy. And those two are fulfilled through service. Right. I would agree. Through service yeah. to, to, to your fellow men. And I had stopped doing that. And I started doing my life. Now I took right. care of Dimitri. I took care of my career. And I think that shift, for some reason, hmm. altered me. It wasn't that I was like, oh, coming from a tra traumatic uh, experience or or I had been, uh, you know, abused or or something had happened to me directly in any way. You know, it was nothing like that. It didn't did you start to did you start to question your faith at that point? No, I never questioned my faith, my faith, because my faith is still intact. It's me, the one that I am the one that gets far from it. It's just like, you know, hmm. um, many religious people feel that God. It's away from them. It's not God. God is the same place. He's always the same. If something God is, it's consistent. So if you understand that, that means that we're the inconsistent ones. We're the ones that fall away from him. He never goes away from us. He loves us. He's unconditional. So um, I don't think it was my religion. If anything, I think that kind of kept me still a little bit close yeah. to ground. Because if it hadn't been for that, maybe I would have started thinking, okay, I'm not, I'm nothing. I don't know where I come from. I don't know what I do. I'm doing here. I don't know where I'm going. So maybe all those answers that I do get from, from you know, from believing, um, in a faith, then that's that. You know, I think that that keeps you grounded sometimes. But in this case, it was personal. It was the fact that I had, I, I was away from home. I went from high school to the pros. I felt like I didn't live the immature life enough. I went. And you're making went, a lot of money. Yeah, making a lot of money, a yep. lot of money. That's also pressure. And, and, and money was not, you know, anybody that understands this money is not a motivator, nor is it a, a solution for all your problems. Um, right. so, so it was interesting that I started to be very I started a, a heavy depression when I was 22 at the you can hmm. you can arguably say the top and the peak of my life. And so um, when this happened, I had a friend of mine that I had to, uh, I called him 
to come live with me in upstate New York because I felt so alone. Even though, ironically, I worked in a place where it was like 90% young ladies, you know, hmm. doing office work. And I was the only young guy. The only four guys that were there, some old guys that were managers. So you can imagine. I mean, I was yeah. getting, you know, attention, smiles. I mean, it doesn't make sense yeah. that I was depressed. But yet huh. I felt in that deep depression. And so I called my friend up and said, hey, come over, live with me. Don't worry about money. Money's, you know, money's not a thing, you know, so just come and hang out with me. Well, he came and hung out with me, but because he didn't have anything to do, all he wanted to do was party. So yeah. he started to uh, go to, uh, you know, Syracuse uh, campus and hanging out with, uh, you know, the students up there. And this is to, this is 2000, Jeff. This is when um, I was explaining to you that a new subculture was starting to form in the U.S., especially in the East Coast, that was be very influenced by the music festivals from Europe. But this mm -hmm. one's in the U.S. were not as mature as the European ones. Because see, in the European ones, you see people older than 30 years old um, dancing and hanging out and doing their thing. In the U.S., it was the opposite. It started at a young, right. young age. I mean, you were seeing 15, 16-year-old girls hanging out with a bunch of adults doing what adults do. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you can tell that by, um, even though it was a great experience in a way that it was different, it was exciting, it was, it was fun, it was partying, um, there was a lot of perdition there because there were a lot of young people using a lot of heavy drugs without much education, understanding, or direction. So... Are these, were these mostly psychedelic drugs or are these the, we're, we're you name it, it was there? Ecstasy obviously was the the, 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 the choice, uh, but everything from up from there, every upper that you can imagine, um, downers as well, psychedelic drugs. I mean, it's a big open market when you go to those events. I mean, it's almost like going to, a, I don't know, like a fish concert, but, you know, getting even more <laughs> than that. You know what I mean? It's like, I know who fish is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got like, a couple couple friends of mine are big fish fans, and I would I would just declare them almost as pseudo hippies in a way. It's like they're but that's. um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the rave scene I never participated in because it never really was in Iowa, you know, at least, you know, we had the bar scene and all that. But so the depression, was that beginning prior to the drug use, uh, Dimitri, or was that post drug use? No, this was prior. That's why hmm. I, I'm telling you that I think that my vulnerability to, to, the, to the effects of my feelings, I thought I needed a way out. And I didn't believe in counseling. This is the beginning of late right 1990s, this counseling was not too popular i mean it, it was actually looked at as you're weird if you're you know in medication and counseling you know what i mean like people were right. not people were not as accepting or as open as it is right now and i come and i come from a latino culture where we don't believe in any of that because first we don't even have the money and second it's just <laughs> life is so difficult for us that you know counseling almost sounds like a joke to us you know <laughs> yeah you know, because just life is so real, it's so ridiculously hard that canceling is just for those people that are trying to make it a little easier. That's how we looked at it, you know? Or, or can't afford it too, yeah. Yeah, you yep. can't afford it. I mean, how, how can you pay a professional for an hour that much money, you know? So, so you know, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't in my culture. It wasn't in the, at the time to, to seek for help. So when you have problems like that, Jeff, you want to find a way out you, or you want to find help or you want to find a distraction. And distraction is one of the biggest problems because you are not focusing on anything that's productive or any or, or the problem itself. For you skin. said something the you said something the other day, Dimitri, that I thought was very uh, interesting. You used the phrase, the term recreational abuse, 
and I asked you if you felt like you were ever an addict or you were addicted to this stuff and you I think if I remember right you kind of said well not from the con not from the context of what most people describe as an addict I was recreationally abusing substances is that an accurate statement Yes, I mean, I don't know if it exists. I'm just explaining kind of how it is, you know, how it was because right. I was I was a functional abuser, right? You know, right in a professional world, and so yep. that and and I was only on the weekends. It wasn't during the week, all day, every day. You know, I mean, it was it was it was I was very. I mean, I chose where I wanted to do it, but when I did it, I definitely abused it. So yeah, so, um, I mean, and and I think part of the reason why I never felt it was a big problem was because my life kept on kept on, you know, moving forward. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I stayed, a, a, you know, I stayed as the network administrator of a, of a huge in, in, infrastructure with a lot of stress. And yet I was able to go and party all weekend and come and be a professional Monday through Friday. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting that that, that was able that I was able to do that. But um, as you may imagine, uh, you can only keep up with with it for so mm -hmm. long. I started to right. come back. Uh, on Mondays with like baggy black, you know, eyes in the bottom and just like looking like I, like hell, looking like I was sick, you know. And so it did start to uh, affect my job and um, until the point where I um, I decided to move away from there because I, you know, just didn't feel comfortable anymore. But the worst part about it is that I moved to Texas and I thought upstate New York was bad. Uh, came to find out Houston, Texas was even worse because hmm. we have the border right there and so you know stuff goes through the border um you know very high uh quality grade a you know um substances that that can be easily accessed and so um unfortunately i went to a city where i found more than what i had left and hmm. that's where the problem started because i started uh, i was abusing with my with my girlfriend at the time that obviously created problems because of the alterations. I mean, when, 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 see, when, what people need to understand is, for example, let's take ecstasy, for example. Um, ecstasy messes with your serotonin levels. And, mm -hmm. you, and so you need like 5-HTP type of, uh, uh, you know, medication to kind of level, uh, um, because see, what, what people don't understand is the uppers, they take you to a higher level. And, and you feel like very... Um, it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're very, you, you feel in the euphoria that, that, that just mm -hmm. like natural type of level where it, it just makes all your brains, you know, uh, uh, connectors go crazy in the neural side of your brain. So it, it stimulates you, overstimulates right. your brain. But the problem is, it's not that you don't go up and then you come back to normal. That's the problem. People don't understand that when you go up, when you come back, you come back lower than you were. Hmm. And that's where the problems start to come in with depression, suicidal in, uh, instincts and, and such, because you 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 actually are deficient from your chemical balance. And, and huh. those create worse, worse uh, decisions and worse situations in general. So from this whole uh, move that you made, where was your family at this time? What was your support group uh, that you had in your life? That was a problem. See, in the U.S., as you can see, it's a huge, it's a huge country. I mean, one of the states is as big as my country right now. So, right. I mean, in my country, I couldn't go that far for my family not to find me. In here, my family was in Utah. I was in New York. So for them to, I mean, my mom came to see me once, and it was very difficult for her to leave because she was working full time 
and just it wasn't you know an easy thing to do so when we're talking about support groups i had no nobody that's the reason why i even i reached out to my friend because he was the only one that wasn't doing anything he was the only one available mm. so there were no mm. there were no family members there were no close different close friends or close um i i quit going to church obviously because i felt you know i wasn't behaving so i i felt bad i felt guilty and so I even I even stopped going to church. So many mm. of the things that I did before, I, I stopped doing sports. I thought, you know, I, I stopped I quit doing things that were productive, that were healthy, that were helping me. And so yeah. I had no support group from from church. I had no support group from family or even friends. And the only friend that I had was my worst, <laughs> my worst, you know, um, uh, you know, giving me bad examples. So. So I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here thinking, listening to your story and how similar um, it is to uh, our son, Seth's story. Um, unfortunately, your outcome, your outcome was substantially better than his, but it, it could have easily just been flip-flopped. I mean, I would assume you guys both had, you know, dialed that Russian roulette chamber and that gun plenty of times. And in our son's case, the heroin had fentanyl in it. Um, in your case, you know, you, you never ran into that, which right now, you know, I, boy, if I had a, if I had a child today, if you're not sitting down talking about not heroin, but what's in the heroin, <laughs> heroin isn't killing you. It's the fentanyl that's killing you. You know, Xanax isn't killing you. It's the fentanyl and Xanax. Um, you know, that's, that's the problem with this stuff is, and I don't know how old you are, but when I was younger, and I, I can, I'm not saying this because I'm on a podcast, everyone knows my life. I've never done drugs, but I was a functional alcoholic all the way up to age 51. But Dimitri, when I was in high school and college, we weren't dying of fentanyl overdosed Oxycontin pills. I mean, we were just getting drunk and passing out in our parents' basements. I mean, that's all we did. And I never was in that world. And Seth, our, our oldest son, unfortunately, was in that world. It sounds like you dabbled in it as well. Did you have a, and pardon the phrase because you know my position on this stuff, but did you kind of have a come to Jesus meeting where you just said, I got to grow up, I got to get my shit together, or I'm going to be dead? Yes, I did. Um, it happened right after, as I mentioned, right after a little while because I, I, I took over uh, another infrastructure in, in Houston. I was working for a high voltage power engineering construction company, one of the biggest in southern southern uh, Texas. You know, so an amazing job. 150 electrical engineers under my network. I was supporting all these electrical engineers. So an amazing, incredibly, uh, you know, high risk, a lot of responsibility and and all that. So again, you should you would think that I was doing well, making great money, amazing job. Right. Um, but I started having problems with my uh, girlfriend. Um, she became pregnant and we moved to Texas. My son was about a year and a half um, in age and uh, she started to have very, I, I'm imagining that the mix of abuse and the mix of uh, postpartum depression is what got us to just completely separate. Wow, um, so yeah. We, I decided that we were getting, it was getting so ugly. I didn't want it to go further. It hadn't gotten to physical abuse, but I didn't even want to even imagine me touching a woman like that. And your son was one and a half at this time, Dimitri? Yes, my son was okay. one and a half, almost two. So, so it was very critical because we had a baby in our, in, you know, in our life. And, you know, I was taught that a, a real man never, never does anything to a yep. woman. So I have never violated that. And I didn't want Absolutely. to at this point. I said, listen, we need to avoid this. This is not going to happen under my watch. You're going back home. 
So I said, yeah. you know, so, so we decided that she was, we were going to separate, but not knowing how much, how attached I was to my son. And that's, that's what he said. Yeah. And that's when I didn't know, man, I, I thought I was invincible. I had gone through incredible, you know, I mean, I had been challenged going different countries, different cultures. Um, I had been, you know, I had survived an abusive alcoholic father, you know, uh, just a bunch of, well, there's a bunch of things that I had already surpassed yeah. and, and had been successful at it. But this was my Achilles tendon. I, I hmm. was not ready for this. And the detachment of my son completely ripped my heart apart. It was the first, it, it was the first time I felt vulnerable. It was the first time I felt that I, that I, that I had weakness within me. And hmm. it's the first time that I could tell. See, most of the time I was always in control. My mind, I consider it very strong. Why I say that is because even though I went abused, most of the time I never lost my mind as all my friends did. I was the one that was right. taking care of people. I was the one that drove all the time because I, I always stayed on point. I would feel the effects, but I could always stay on point. I could always go back to my mind and say, all right, what's going on? And that was something very particular because I don't know that many people that can actually do that. And so I oh. felt that I was invincible, even, you know, Mr. Mr. You know, doing all these bunch of you know, abuse and nothing had faced him. But when my son left, that's when I started to really abuse what huh. I was recreationally using. And so um, at this point, I started hanging out with the wrong people. I lost my professional job because uh, somebody crashed into me. So it equaled the fact that they had to test me. And because I was partying those days, I came out dirty. Mm. So I lost my professional job. I lost my son. I lost my relationship. I lost everything that I had worked for. And I had the worst type of friends that I had found. I was associating with bar owners. And there were, not, there were three different bars. And all these bar owners were um, ridiculously abusing methamphetamine. Oh, I bet. And so this is a, if you understand about this drug, I mean, this not only does it destroy you internally, but it just completely shifts the whole mental part of you because it's acid. It's like it's deteriorating your insides and your mind. And uh, it's very highly addictive, just like heroin, just like any other of those. They are very, they're highly uh, addictive. So not only did I abuse it, but I, I, I for the first time became, um, I lost control and hmm. was under the control of a substance and uh, i didn't sleep for two weeks holy cow this keeps you up i mean this is worse i mean cocaine for example gives you a high and then you come down quick uh methamphetamine keeps you up for days and you keep wow. doing it and you keep doing it and you don't eat because you don't want to you don't feel like eating so you lose you lose uh, your mass you know you lose your muscle you, you know your eyes start to pop in, in yeah. internally start your 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 one of my tooth chipped a little bit and that's when i started noticing oh my goodness i'm turning into a junkie you know now, how old were you at this point how old were you at this point 24 so this all happened from 23 to 24 yeah well Shit, no, it was, sounds from 22 to 24 two years yeah but it sounds like your story is like an eight-year journey <laughs> this is all just you know two years yeah so about, you crammed a, a more than that but yeah not no more than three you crammed a whole lifetime of living in a short amount of time so what what clicked? What what clicked? Uh, your son is, yeah. is 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 out of your life at this point. Um, what what clicked? Was it that was it probably? I I recognized that because I had lost my son, I had lost it all, and I noticed that everything that I have worked for was just ruined. I felt like I was worthless. I felt like I was a junkie that nobody wanted. My whole family disowned me, for the exception of my mother, and and I I mean I was lost, and I can see how many people how many 
you know, people that I've used just completely go the whole way and completely right. let themselves go and horrible things yeah. happen because you feel like you're worthless. You feel like you are the scum of the earth. You feel like you shouldn't even be here, you know, and, and, and yet I had an amazing life before it. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter right. how great your life was before this because once you hit that ground, once you hit that and then you start going even in a deeper well, that's when you start to recognize that this is like the pure devil, you know, and I, and that's, that's what I compared it. I said, I, and so what I did is I decided to call my mom. I said, and you know, I respect my mom a lot. I don't lie to her, but it was very embarrassing for her, her, her son that had served a mission that had served people that was great in school, debate national champion. I mean, the, the list goes on, uh, you know, successful in it, you know, as an immigrant, I mean, there was so much for my mom to be proud of. Right. So I didn't want to ruin that. It was very difficult for me to call my mom and say, hey, mom, I have I have found the devil. For the first time, I have face-to-face with him, and I am not going to be able to win. Hmm. And so I decided I, I was actually able to see after after days of, of not being able to see to sleep, um, the effect of this, starting to see hallucinations, starting to lose my mind, starting to noticing that I was that I was eventually going to get beat by this that by this you know big demon that that had sure. taken over my life that's what i decided to call my mother because she's the only woman that i trust in my life hmm. and uh i said mom you are not gonna like what i'm gonna say this is not good but i need to be honest i'm going to lose everything including hmm. my life and i need you to come here quick and help me so Two days later, my mom came and, uh, and you know, it's all right. I can, I can feel the love, man. I mean, I get this way when I talk about Seth, it's just, just, you can't describe it in words. Um, that's awesome. That, that's a, that's a awesome story, Dimitri. And, uh, anyone watching this. Uh, we all have moms. Um, I, I can, I can feel your love, man. Yeah. So, so you know, it's uh, it was great because uh, her her un- unconditional love didn't have any judgment. Right. 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 Didn't put me down. Didn't say anything that could have been um, destructive. Right. And so she came and you know picked me up in a U-Haul. Said, "All right, son, let's get <laughs> you out of here. That's what you need. That's what we're gonna do." We went That's back awesome. to you. We went back to Utah, drove through the country, drove through, you know, Nevada, or actually we went through Texas and, 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 and Denver. And we went to, we, we went back home. She said, okay, what are you going to do? I said, mom, I have heard that addicts need to replace their addiction with something positive. That's like the best thing I could have remembered from huh. anything. And that's what I did. I went and en- enrolled myself in school and started studying. At the beginning, I had to down like... I was using beer because I didn't want to use alcohol, but I was using like a 12 pack of beer daily to just bring myself down from all that jittery and all that needing to use that drug that I was trying to cleanse myself. And it was like a, a it, 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 detox was horrible. And I did it on oh, my I own know. for help and, yeah. uh, and it was horrible the first days, but you know what? My desire to get rid of that feeling that I, that I didn't, that I, that I didn't deserve to live, that I wasn't worth anything, that I, everything that I had done had been canceled. I got, you know, I, I, I start, I started doing something positive, which was cool. And I decided I will not stop. And that's what happened. I, I just, I, 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 
I used alcohol to help me get rid of the drug or the drugs for that matter. And eventually I was able to get rid of even the alcohol, even working at a, at a bar. So, do you think, do you think your struggle with alcohol or some of this stuff is genetic? You know, they, they say that I don't believe it. I don't either. Not as much as they say. I don't believe that. My dad is is a full-blown alcoholic. I mean, when I tell you alcoholic, I tell you that my dad was a kind that would 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 just be laying in the street and people that knew him would bring him home because he just was so drunk that he couldn't make it back home. That's the kind of drunk I grew up with. So I knew that there was a lot of addiction. Because we, right. you know, people talk about addictions and they're related to drugs. Addiction is anything that you don't control, even sugar. Absolutely, absolutely. Addiction. And we are all, yep. once you, and, and that's something that people need to understand about people that have suffered addictions. Once you're an addict, you're always an addict. Sounds horrible, but it's a condition that you have developed in your brain. That you are vulnerable and at any point you can relapse. And it's mm-hmm. not a shameful thing. It's not that you're worthless. It's not that you're weak. It's the fact that you have developed an addiction and it will never go away. It's something that you need to always try to control. And you always have to be mindful of getting away from those places and those those activities that will get you back to relapsing. Do you, uh, do you practice meditation or what do you do to contribute to your spirituality? Uh, well, um, I... I talk, I talk religion every day, not in a, in a biblical sense, quoting right. quotes. You know, one, it, 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 I think that the best thing that religion can do is you, you learn the, the concepts and you apply them in your life. Otherwise, you're just reading stories from 2,000 years ago. You know, I agree. And, and, yep. and so that's what, and so I started to try to apply what I learned. And mm-hmm. since I had practiced my religion, I just wasn't preaching it. Um, I knew how to do it. So I went back to what I knew. And this is the reason why it's so important for us to teach our children good values because even when they even when the the you know the the that strong winds and the big tides come and take them away eventually they will find their way back if they choose mm-hmm. to so what's let's segue a little bit uh and I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying your your excitement I I can see your passion exude from you <laughs> um and I admire, I admire like every guest I've had lately have just had these awesome heroic stories. And um, boy, I just keep, I keep, I'm excited about finding new people like you on social media that can give you a platform to tell your story. And, you know, obviously I'm doing this to help myself first. I mean, if I'm, if I'm not around, then I'm not any benefit to, to my two kids and my, my other people in my life. So I got to take care of myself first. Um, I just admire so much about what you're doing, Dimitri. Let me throw something at you. What are your thoughts on legalization of marijuana and psychedelic use becoming more mainstream in society as ways to deal with, say, depression, PTSD, even end-of-life suffering? There's a lot of talk about using specifically mushrooms. And I, I full disclosure, I have never done these things. But that doesn't mean I'm not open to entertaining the idea of some type of benefit. You know, we all use drugs in some capacity. All of us do. So let's don't be ignorant and say, I can take a Tylenol, but I'm not going to consider a magic mushroom. You know, I've never done this stuff. What, what's, what's your thoughts on this stuff, Dimitri? Um, good question. I, I'm, I'm of the belief that, for example, if you look at cannabis, because, you know, they call it marijuana and it's kind of like an insulting name. Just because it's kind of like calling an illegal alien. It's just the same insult. You know what I mean? People <laughs> yeah. put this label on, on things and they're just stupid. But yeah. anyway, 
I'm sorry, I had to laugh because I remember you telling me that the other day, and I, you and I chuckled about that. I laugh. It doesn't affect me. I laugh. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to hurt your feelings, am I, Dimitri? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I've grown. I've grown a lot, so I'm happy about my development. Um, yeah. So, so what I was mentioning, uh, Jeff, I think that it's a, uh, you know, if you look at if you look at cannabis, for example, it's a plant. It's a holy plant. Holy. What I mean by holy is that many many of our civilizations have used it for um religious uh you know gatherings and 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 even um especially indigenous people and from many parts of the world have used it to to elevate and to and to you know uh get uh you know in tune it helps you focus into some religious uh you know uh um i guess you would say activities and Mm -hmm. so to deny the fact that hemp has been one of the you know one of the production of, of clothing and, 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 you know, ropes and, I mean, you name it. We're talking about thousands of years. Another thing I don't understand why people, you know, you know, if I remember correctly in university, when I studied sociology, they talked about how they talk about, they talked about how these uh, drug enforcement came about. And I don't know if you ever heard this, but mm-hmm. for example, um, um, cannabis was illegal because Mexicans were bringing it over. And when they worked the land, they would mm. be very, you know, pain, a lot of pain in their body. They needed to take that pain away and they would smoke. But then they started to recognize mm. that some white girls were liking the, how, how they were hanging out and partying. And so they would come and party. So guess what? Um, it became actually a race, racial law as opposed to, uh, you know, a, ter- uh, a fight on ter- uh, against drugs, you know what I mean? And so right. I think that we have to look at the history and why things started, because it doesn't make any sense for a plant that has never killed anyone or has even created any type of alteration to be so number one. They put in the level number one as the drugs. I mean, next to heroin, next to and, all the, and, and so that that's just ignorance. That's I know. Just, and, lo- and look at alcohol's done to society. Look, look at the, look at alcohol has done to your internal organs and look what alcohol does you know, drunk driving and, and all the all the societal ills that come with alcohol. Yet when the Super Bowl's on, there's 10 commercials on alcohol. We've just accepted that that quote sin as a as a normal process of being in America or I guess a, a human. But cannabis is just still out there as this fringe. And again, full disclosure, I've never smoked pot. I've never done these drugs. But that doesn't mean that I, I need to be, um, you know, ignorant to the fact that there could potentially be some benefits that I'm not aware of. And I specifically mentioned end of life and PTSD and depression and even ADHD. There is some evidence out there that some of these psychedelics have shown uh, benefits to to people that are um, that are struggling with things. So, you know, I think as a society, we owe it to learn about these things. And the addiction level when it comes to mushroom, it doesn't exist. That's another thing that people then. And then, and then, as you mentioned, isn't it, su- isn't it such a hypocrisy? I mean, you talked about alcohol. I talk about tobacco. How about tobacco? Yeah, Three absolutely. People, one is dead, two are half dead. You see right. what I mean? And yet, yeah. and yet we're, we were for so many years, you know, complacent and just accepting just because that's what we accepted. And yet we were literally killing people for doing it. Well, we and just cherry picked. We cherry pick these things. You know, this thing is bad because this thing is okay because, and it's like, 
you know, I, I just think if we want to do right for our children, and that's really why you and I are having these conversations is for our children. Um, and um, if we want to do this right, then we need to really have a clear, open mind on some of these topics and not just be anti this, anti this, anti this. And I look at the, the war on drugs you and I talked about. It's just been a colossal, discriminating, horrible failure. And it is just to the point where people are serving time for offenses that, in all honesty, they shouldn't spend any time. And then you got somebody that does something horrific that is getting a year or two in prison. And to, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think, I, I don't know what the answer is, Dimitri. I don't have a lot of experience in this area. However, I am very interested in trying to get some type of level playing field here where we can have um, have the ability to make choices. And if you make the poor choice, you're not, you're not, you know, sacrifice the rest of your life on some of these poor choices, you know? I look at my son being incarcerated as a felon. I mean, he when he got out of prison, you know, the, the fact that he was a felon, he had so many things going against him. But a lot of what got him there was just a function of some very poor choices. He wasn't a bad kid. He just made some very poor choices at 15, 16, and 17 years old. I could have done it. I, I Right. I, you, and it's so crazy, Jeff, because now it's even worse. I remember my high school, I was considered one of the rebels. I was going, oh, he smokes pot. Oh, my goodness. He's like a huge <laughs> rebel. You know, like, because I came from California and I was Latino. I mean, you should have seen the stigma, social stigma that was behind it. Now, and, and it's interesting because now I went to my old high school and they told me the stories. There's like a, like a, like a open market of, of, of drugs that are happening at this, at this uh, rural and, and urban areas where you, you know, with this bunch of people, uh, kids that are, that, that, that are the, the sons and daughters of well, you know, well-known people, you know, professionals, uh, yeah. you know, it, I mean, so, so, so it's incredible to see how, how, how people, how society, um, and, 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 and don't mind me saying Jeff, that America, in my opinion, or the United States has one of the worst problems, if not the worst problem of, of, of drug addiction and drug abuse. So you would, you, you, we have to look at the, the root cause of this. I mean, is it because of lack of identity, lack of support, lack of, of, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know what we, obviously these kids that are doing this from rich homes, which are the ones that I was oh, talking yeah. about, are obviously yep, missing yep. their parents, are obviously missing something, some kind of link to something substantial. And, and, and I think we need to look at it very seriously because, as you mentioned, there's good kids that, you know, association is a bitch. You know that. Association can yeah. make you yeah. kill yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, and that's the problem. Yeah. You, cannot, you cannot associate the person that is associating with these people like the same way. But unfortunately, we are humans and we are influenced. And so, and, and just because of influence doesn't mean that that's the, and, and then let's not forget, are we, are we the, the accumulation? Are, are we defined by our, our mistakes? If that's the case, then this is a miserable life. Oh, I, but it's, it's I mean, yeah, you're, not, you're so right on that. You're so right on that. And I, again, the only evidence I have to go with, if I'm presenting my case is my own experiences. That's all we really have for evidence. And I look back at, you know, Seth grew up in, you know, in white middle-class America. I mean, you know, geez, he didn't, he didn't have a, a rough up, upbringing. You know, I'll be honest with you. He's just like the way I was raised. Nothing wrong with that. You, you can't control where you're born or who you're born into, but that's just how it turned out. 
Yet there was a hole, there was something missing and I'm, I'm, I'm forcing myself to try to figure out and I, I know, I know there's a good chance I'll never understand why he thought those actions at those certain ages and why some kids like you can just have an epiphany moment. Uh, I, I may never find an answer, but I, I will guarantee you, man, I will never freaking stop looking. I will never stop searching for my son. And if you and I having this conversation, some dad can say or mom can say, man, we got to sit down with Junior. We got to sit down with our son today. Uh, I just got a call from his teacher and they caught him vaping in the bathroom and he's getting his grades went from A to D. And, you know, Dimitri lived, but Seth didn't. We, we need to talk to our son. You know, I, I, I think they can get through it. And, you know, Dimitri, I go back to the first, the age of first use is where I, my sweet spot is in my, my perfect scenario, if I could be king for a day, would be to get to 12, 13, and 14-year-olds. I, I don't know if I'm going to help the 35-year-old Oxycontin uh, hair overdose, I mean, um, addict, or the alcoholic who's, you know, 29, who's twice married and just can't, can't stop drinking. I'm not sure what value I'm going to bring to the story there. But I do think my story can really help those 12, 13, and 14-year-olds that haven't started using yet. That is where we fix the problem, I think. Um, and I, I, I don't know how anyone couldn't agree with that because you never have to quit something if you don't start. And I've right. used that, I use that mentality with my boys all the time, my two surviving boys, is you never have to quit smoking if you don't start. You never have to quit drinking if you don't start. And I know it's easy to say that, um, it's very difficult to do, but if we can get these kids to empower them to believe in themselves and, you know, not to get off sidetracked here, but social media has just been a horrible thing for adolescents today and watching other other friends do well makes you envious and gives you imposter syndrome. And, and now you're going through maybe sexual questions. Maybe you're considering your sexuality and now your mom and dad are, are going to be disappointed if you come out as gay and you got all this pressure. And so what's the release? Go get stoned. Go get drunk. You know? I think, I think uh, Jeff, it's very important for parents to understand that they need to seriously take a serious look at what relationship they have with their children. How open is the dialogue? How much trust is there when they come with problems and mistakes? Are they going to condemn them and completely send them to, you know, to, to perdition? Or are they going to remember that that's their, their blood and flesh and that's them in another body, the continuation of their life? And how are they going to deny themselves? And how are they going to criticize themselves when it was them, it was from that home that they came from? So the responsibility, yeah. has, the responsibility has to be shared. And the responsibility, that's a good point. And the responsibility has to be taken from the beginning. Because, you know, right. then they come and say, how did this happen? You know why it happened? Because you never spoke to him about these things because you thought it was better to avoid those conversations because they're uncomfortable, you know? And I think that that's what we need to do. That's why we're having this conversation, Jeff, because it's uncomfortable, but it's so necessary. And that's the, that the communication is the key to any problem because we can work, we can, understand, yep. we can find ways to, to, to find solutions. But when we, when there's a lack of communication, lack of respect, lack of empathy, lack of any of those essential parts to be that human being. Jeff, parents need to recognize that if it's saying in Spanish, el que no encuentra su papá en la casa lo encuentra en la calle, which means if you don't find your parents in your home, they're going to find them in the street, on the streets. And that's not going to be a good parent. Hmm. And that's not going to be a good teaching. 
But remember, what you don't do at home, they're going to find it in the, on the streets. Yeah, and I think that that is so uh, appropriate um, when we start looking at all this in context and, and how we can help our kids. I, I, there's just so many things going through my head right now in regards to my my two boys that are still here and some of the conversations we had. You know, to me, it's it's not necessarily always making the right decision, but it's avoiding the worst possible outcome. And and I've got this thing in my head that I always tell myself, you know, Jeff, you got one chance to f this up. You got one chance, you know. My son comes to me with this big thing, you know, hey, dad, I, I had sex for the first time or hey, dad, you know, I, I did I did marijuana or hey, dad, I had alcohol or I stole something from the store or, you know, just something that obviously I'm not going to agree with from that context. The worst possible outcome is suicide and adolescents today are and even sounds terrible, but one of the highest suicide rates right now is middle-aged white men. Um, that seems to be, I, the rates are just through the roof. And so the, the pressures on all parts of society, not just adolescents, but even just adults, it, it is, is obviously um, magnified with COVID. But to go back to the worst possible outcome, if your child has a problem coming to you because you're going to judge them or you're going to talk condescending to them or you're going to lecture them, and then they do something as, as, as horrific as suicide, I mean, how many people have killed themselves, how many kids, because of their inability to go talk to their parents about something? And I, it's probably a number of, of, of suicides by adolescents have been that, that friction. And, and, and I think if the kid could have got through that barrier, they could have been me and you. They could have been able to have a productive life and maybe told their story to help somebody else. But they ended up committing suicide. And I just... I. There's something wrong in this equation, and and we are hurting society. Not not just America; the world is. And unfortunately, we know more about these things than we've ever had in the history of humankind. Yet we are more miserable than we've ever been in the history of humankind. What gives? Because um, I think we have more alterations in hmm. our food. We have uh, more more distractions that we've ever had. We have uh, we don't understand that things take time. And instead, we're getting used to this uh, uh, automatic gratification. In other yeah. words, we don't work yeah. for what needs to be done. We don't. We think it's misery to work when it's an opportunity. We think it's horrible to study when it's a when it's development. We think that it's uh, boring to be no to, to be to be a good human being. So it's like cooler to just be a rebel. I mean, there there are so many there are so many things hmm. that that that, just, that, are, that I think we're confused, and we need yeah. to just go back to. Our, our core values, which are family unity. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're like, uh, we, we're losing the, 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 the family unity and structure because we, 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 we are being taught that. We, and when you look, when you only worry about yourself, it's a very uh, thought because even if you do the best thing for yourself and you don't do anything for others, you're going to be empty. And that's the problem. People are doing too much for themselves and only for themselves and only for their personal pleasure and only for their personal uh, progress. And therefore, they don't care what's happening around them or who's around them. And I think that that's what we need to bring. We need to bring that community among ourselves as, you know, as helping each other. But, you know, I think that we're, we're, we're being tested. But in the same way, I'm looking at a lot of I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist as well, Jeff. I'm, I'm, I, I mean, look what we're talking about right now. 
We would have never had this conversation 20 right. years ago. I probably right. had had this conversation 20 years right. ago. And so I think we're, we're progressing. We're, we, the communication technology is allowing us to communicate a lot, a lot easier. Now you don't have to have, you know, you could live in Iowa in the smallest little, you know, rural place with nobody around but cows and sheep. And now you can get in front of the Zoom and talk to somebody in Africa, in, in Europe, yeah. in, in Asia. So I think we're getting to the point where, you know, I mean, video games are no longer just Mario Brother and you. You know, now you're connecting with others and now you're you're doing things collectively. And so that is going to change how, how you know, because because we're never alone, no matter how, you know, we're never alone. And, and, and another thing, right, you be alone when you're, when you're with yourself. You know what I mean? You're somebody. Yeah, so you're never alone. <laughs> And that, that's a good point. I think that's that's a, a, a nice bow tie in this conversation is that at the end of the day, the person looking back in the mirror ought to be your best friend, ought to be the person that you trust the most. It shouldn't be somebody you fear. And the reality is, is we are so uncomfortable with ourselves from everything, um, whether it's just literally ourselves or the fact that we aren't honest with the concept of aging. Um, you know, we, we just were in denial that, that as we get older, we were not, we're probably not going to get better looking. Um, and so we fight that and we get depressed and we're disappointed on how we look. And so there's all these things magnified, but I think, I think self, um, self doubt and, um, lack of self-confidence is a big problem today. And I'm trying to present this living undeterred narrative that no matter if you're in Guatemala, in Iowa, um, if you're white, black, male, female, gay, straight, whatever it is, there's always an opportunity to find something good going on in your life. However, there's also an opportunity to find something bad if you want to look that way. I think to me, if you're a miserable person, you can't find a way to get help. That's on you. I mean, I'm talking to a guy in Guatemala right now. I mean, give me a break. You're telling me you can't find help. You're just not looking in the right places. And, and I think for people to sit there and point fingers and say, you know, this is the pro COVID and this and that, you know, the reality is you're just not doing a good enough job looking for help. Um, it's out there. And uh, I'm grateful for you to give an hour of your day. And um, I'm honored to now call you a friend. And I didn't know you a week or two ago. And I, I would hope that we still continue some conversations uh, on social media. And, and, and um very likely I'll circle back and have you back on as an update, kind of see where things are going for your life. So how old is your son now? Um, he's, uh, he's, he just turned 19, graduated this, this, this last year with, a, with, you know, with no graduation. Um, I haven't seen him for approximately six years. And yeah. I talk to him every Sunday. He talks to his father and he tells me that he loves me. He tells me that he misses me and I'm helping him uh, with his career and programming because that's what I do. And that's what his dad does. Why not? Why not teach him? You know, so, <laughs> but, you know, I, at the time you. when I lost my son, I thought, I, you know, I would have never imagined this. But you know what? Time heals wounds. Time yeah. gives the opportunity to change life. And remember that we are all valuable. We are we are, we're all created by the same creator. And there's no way he created some of us more important than others. We are all important. We are, we all have values. And remember that we all have something to bring to this world. That's why we have different talents and abilities. And we need to just seek for those and find our value in the world. And the best value we could always find and consistently is service to others. That is the value that we have and that we can provide in this world, not material accumulation or any other distraction, but more what we can give others. And when we do that, as I mentioned, we will be loved and we will be needed. 
And we have those two through service. So let's get it mm -hmm. done. Let's do it. Let's show our value to the world. And, and we didn't rehearse that, by the way. That's just Dimitri being Dimitri. So uh, that's a good way to end this. Um, awesome, man. I, I appreciate uh, keep being you. Good luck to everything that you do. And um, if people want to reach out to you, is LinkedIn the best way, Dimitri? Yes, LinkedIn is the best way. I don't really mess around with uh, other uh, platforms. <laughs> I, you can uh, you can find me for any for any reason outside of business, or you can come and uh, ask me how I can help you scale through automation and help you uh, welcome the fourth uh, industrial revolution with digital transformation. Yeah, definitely. We gotta embrace it. You can't run from it. So, hey, man, have a have a great time uh, with with the rest of what you're doing this this week and. Um, Again, uh, I always tell all my all my listeners, you know, live undeterred. I guess that's the motto here, uh, and you you embody that. And and again, I, I wish you the best of luck. I, I know whatever you do, you're gonna you're gonna go down swinging. That's kind of how you how you operate. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. Well, take care, man, and enjoy it very much. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. I appreciate the the opportunity, Jeff. You are great. I love your work. Keep doing it. We need to bring this to the world. So let's do it. I appreciate you, and I. Uh, I, I really uh, appreciate the, the opportunity of being here and talking to you and everyone out there. So love, peace, and happiness to everyone. Back at you, brother. Take care. Hey, I'm going to have you hang on a minute. Um, try to leave.